In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, and as you are, turn your Bible to the book of Genesis. It will be in Genesis chapter 17 this morning. As we work through the, the scriptures, you know, two things really drive me as I think of preparing to speak, and one is that the scriptures would be clear, and that the second would be that they'd be that they could be applied. They'd be clear, that I communicate them clearly, that we'd be ready to learn and study and, and read into it. It's why I think bringing a Bible is so important. It's why having a Bible in front of us is so important. We do have Bibles in the back. Pick up a Bible and, and follow along. I really encourage you uh, to do that. Not just to use the words on the screen, but to use the words on your page to follow along and to highlight and to... Uh, to, to draw notes, but also to apply it and to think through as we go, you know, what does God have for us? It's what I always, I wonder as we work through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we're all dealing with things in our own lives where we are, and then how do we take this word and how do we apply it, and, and just to have some time to, to meditate and to think on it. And I think it, and, um, and to see how the word of God is living and active. It is applicable to all our lives. It's applicable to what we're facing now. And so I just pray that as we look at this, that you find this message, this, this word of God clearly understood and applied to your life. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Genesis 17, 1 through 14. This is God's holy and errant word. When Abram was 99 years old, <clears throat> the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. And may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look into this word, God, we know that this is your word spoken and given to your people. This is given to us. God, it's given to us the account of your relationship with Abraham. 
thousands of years ago, thousands of miles ago, Father, and yet we know that there are applications, spiritual applications, which you bring to our lives. And so, Father, as I speak, help me speak clearly. Father, as we listen, help us listen attentively. But, Father, beyond those things, do a spiritual work of seeing in our lives how we can grow closer to you in grace, how we can draw near to you by faith, and how we can know the blessings of your promises. Father, how we can be a blessing then to the nations in showing the gospel of hope to comfort those who are suffering. Father, lead and guide us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, all of us have a history, and the history goes beyond just what happened this morning. We all have a history that we can look back on, and and we see of all the things that have happened, how they have shaped us to this day. If I look at the history, I might break down our history, you know, different events of our history into three things, three categories, three categories being the good things that happen in your life, the bad things that happen in your life, and the difficult things that have happened in your life. And you might even think right now, like something that happened in your life, and what bucket would that be in? And as it's in that bucket, how does it affect your life today? You could uh, think about the, the, the bad things that have happened in your life, the tragedies that you faced, the poor way that other people have treated you, your failures, your regrets, the shame that you feel. You could also know of life's difficulties, times that you've had of waiting, times that you've had of suffering, when maybe your expectations that you uh, thought would materialize never came to happen, with times of difficulty. But you could also think of your time of successes, the good things, right? Like times where um, financially or relationally or some new change was able to bring um, new joy into your life. And there was these good things that happened. Now, what happens is we get stuck in the past, whether that's over successes, whether our, our good things or bad things or our difficulties, as we get stuck in those things, it really keeps us from seeing the power of God working now inside of our lives and enjoying his promises and the future that he has for us. I mean, if we're wrapped up in our past successes, trying to duplicate them and repeat them, you know, that we uh, can forget about, we can often ignore and miss out on promises that God has us for doing new things, for searching out new areas. We can also see it in areas of difficulties or, or bad things that, that we may be wanting to protect ourselves and isolate ourselves so we don't get into those areas. As we go into the story of Abram and Sarai here in Genesis chapter 17, you know, we see that they have those experiences. We've been tracking with them since Genesis 12. And as we go Genesis 12 through 17, you know, we've seen successes. They've built wealth. They've accumulated some level of... of um, of success around them. They've even been in a few military conflicts and, and found success in battle there. Um, we see difficulties. They've been waiting um, all this 25 years by the time we get to chapter one, 25 years of a promise that was given to them and still waiting it to be fulfilled, especially in, in the arrival of a child. Um, we see difficulties they've had. They've, been ha- they've had to wait all this time for a child to be given to them in their life. And we see some bad things, failures, especially one that we saw last week as we looked at their um, interactions through chapter 16. 
Now, here's the thing, though, is that nothing that has happened in their past can be compared with what God is going to do through them in the near future and what God's going to do through them in the future to come. And see, that's true of all God's people. You know, as we go through times of suffering, we need to remember that God has promises that are, that are greater than even our times of suffering. Romans 8.18 says that I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You know, the difficulty that you face, the suffering, the sickness, whatever it is, is not worth comparing to the glory that's revealed to us when God brings us to himself. It's also true of our difficulties, or, I mean, not just of our difficulties, but also of our successes. Psalm 73 talks about, uh, you know, a, a, um, there's joy in here, but as much joy as this person may have in their life is they look for something greater. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And in earth there is nothing I desire besides you. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the Lord is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. As good as our successes may be, they're nothing compared with, the, with knowing God, walking in him, and knowing his approval and of his grace. So let me ask you, do you believe that about your successes? We often talk about learning it from our failures, but do we learn from our successes? And sometimes how our successes really are just a pointer and need to be a pointer to a greater success. Every one of our successes is going to leave us empty at some point. It's not able to really give a fulfillment. But we look forward to a future fulfillment, which is in Christ. Our, our successes point us forward to God. So often, again, we get stuck in old patterns, trying to repeat old successes, trying to avoid our past problems and our past difficulties. So as God speaks to Abraham here, and he's going to give him three different things and three different things to help him as he moves forward, right? Revelation tends to happen you know, God reveals a little bit by little bit what everybody's ready for at different times. And, and Abram is ready to hear more about what his, his future is. And God is going to speak to him about this covenant relationship he has with him. A covenant, an agreement between these two with, with obligations of the both. And he's going to speak to him about, he's going to reveal to him more about that covenant and more of his place in it. Bring him past those successes. Bring him past those failures. Bring him past those difficulties in the promises he has for him. And so as you're facing any of those three things, you know, I, I hope you'll be able to take hope in any of these three for yourself. Because these aren't just things that were given for Abraham then. They were, but they're, they're also, a, a, we can apply them and take them and see, how does God deal with us in covenant in this life right now? Abraham needed a refresh. Genesis chapter 16 was a time of difficulty. He needed a refresh. And that's what God gives to him in this passage that we're looking at today. All right, so let's look at three new things that God gives Abraham in moving forward with his mission that he has before him. The first thing we see in verses 1 through 3 is a new challenge. He gives him a new challenge. Look at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. There's been a 13-year gap between the end of Genesis 16 and the beginning of 17. We don't catch the time change as we just go verse by verse. But there's a, there's a big gap that's here between these two events. And as he gets here, he gives him a new instruction. It's a new instruction that's here. And that new instruction is to walk before him and to be blameless. 
Like I said, he involves his revelation over time, giving more and more. Now, I think these commands are assumed before we get to Genesis chapter 17. I mean, it's really a reflection of what God would have told Adam and Eve in the garden. But this is the first time he actually speaks these specific words to Abraham. Um, and there's something that's important here. Before he gives these requirements, if you jump back a couple chapters, you're going to remember what God did. Before God said, walk before me, be blameless, before he even got to that point, he'd already set up a covenant with Abram. He'd already told him he was going to give him land. He told him he was going to give him a son. And he made a unilateral promise and covenant with Abram at that point. You remember the, the story of, of cutting the animals in half and splitting them and the, the, the smoking pot and the flaming torch going through them. God himself making a promise to Abram that he was going to do these things for him. And what did Abram have to do? Nothing. He watched. He watched. He responded by faith. But here we see the response to God's covenant love, the response to his grace is a life of faith, a life of obedience and faith. It really is a big deal because we remember that God's promises are dependent on his grace. They are not dependent on our works and our effort. That's how grace works. God makes these enormous promises, promising to do them by his own power. And he tells us to walk in those. Walk according to them. And so Abram, is he going to walk in those promises? That's where he says, be blameless, walk with me. You know, we have a reminder of what God did in Genesis 15, where God makes this promise. And he's making the promise, not the guarantee, ultimately, of Abraham's obedience and his ability to do this. Because Abram will fail. But he does it knowing that one day he's going to send his own son, Jesus Christ, into it, into the world to fulfill all the requirements of law, everything that was required in order to make these promises happen. He was going to do it through Jesus. But still, we know this rule, that if we want to enjoy this covenant relationship with God, is that we need to walk with him. It's called the blameless walk. The Bible shows that repeatedly throughout its pages. You could look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. If you flip over there, you'd see that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's Hebrews 12, 14. There's a call to be blameless, a, a call to endeavor in obedience, a call to put sin to death, a call to choose obedience over our, our sinful lusts. That's what Abraham needed to know. And that's what we need to know, too. This is, it's interesting that it happens after uh, chapter 16. Abram and Sarah, that they, in their endeavor to have a baby, they had allowed into their marriage adultery and even polygamy in order to have a child. Forgetting God's promises, they, by their own methods, their own means, decided to have this baby. And when they were doing that, they were following some of the other codes of the nations around them. They're following the rules of those other nations who would allow that sort of behavior. But God is saying to them, no, I have a different moral code. I have a different rule than the nations around you. You're called to be different. Be blameless and walk before me. He needed to know that there was going to be a moral law which is going to be based upon God's character. One that delights in purity, in faithfulness, that values life and the truth one that 
honors the Lord in the use of his name and, and spending time with him. And so if Abram and then his descendants to come were going to walk in his blessings, they needed to walk before God in blamelessness too. God was raising up a different nation, different kind of nation than the other ones around them. They need to worship him in the beauty of holiness. So that's the challenge to Abram, but it's a challenge to us as well. If we're going to walk with Jesus Christ, that we are called to a new life, a new way of life. To walk with Christ is to become like Christ. We will see moral change as a result of the work of God's grace. It's what happens when we have a relationship with him. We put away sin. We walk in obedience. We put sin to death. We fight it. God's covenant love drives us to obedience. We don't do it, we don't do it so we can be loved. We do it because we're loved, because we're called. We know the blessing and grace that's there. So there's a new challenge that's given to him. The second thing we see here is there's a new name. He gives a new name. See that in verses 4 through 6. Behold, my covenant is with you, verse 4 says, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come to you. In verse 3, Abram, he submits himself to the Lord. He just falls on his face, saying, Lord, what you've called me, I'm, I'm going to do that. In response to God renews this, confirms this covenant with Abram. He changes his name. You can imagine Abram going through life and somebody says, oh, hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? And he says, oh, my name is Abram. And his friend says, oh, Abram, that's a great name. Exalted father. That's what Abram means. Exalted father. Oh, Abram, would you show me your kids? For 86 years, he had no kids to show. For the last 13 years of his life, the only one that was there, he had one, and it was the one that was um, the daughter of his wife's slave. So, exalted father, you know, what level of awkwardness is there? What kind of man could have no children, this exalted father? And so here we see God renewing Abram by giving him a new name. What's interesting is instead of pulling back from his promise, God really leans into the promise. Do you see that? He names him, instead of name exalted father, he's going to be called father of nations. You can think of the other names God may have given him. Failed father, infertile couple, um, adulterer. But he didn't do those things. Father of a multitude. Not only is Abraham going to be a father, but he's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. It's a bold promise Right? He's going to be the father of many nations. You know, Ishmael, the one son that he'd have, would certainly be some of those. But that's not the line of promise that, that God was really pointing to. The line of promise which would go through his son Isaac. We see Isaac referred to in verse 19. And then the descent of Isaac, who would eventually be Jesus. And, and all those who believe in Jesus Christ by faith are also called Abraham's children. You know, those are the many nations that, that he would eventually be built. He, but Abram had no sense of that there. But God knew. God wants to renew Abraham in this purpose. It's been 25 years of waiting, and that waiting is not over yet, but it's close. So God gives him that new name. But if you look at verse 15, you see what he does with Sarah, his wife. 
Verse 15, and God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now, the name Sarai, that name literally means princess. Now, from a princess, you expect eventually it's going to be born what? Children and eventual kings, right? And so you can imagine the, same, the, the, the shame of Sarai going along, you know, and you know, having no children. What kind of princess is she? And so God renames her, and he renames her Sarah. Now, do you know what Sarah means? It also means princess, right? Just the, 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 the small change is, is God's, again, leaning into committing himself to this promise that she too one day shall have kings come from her. Imagine the names he could have given her, barren or failure or unwanted but, or manipulator. But he doesn't do those things. She is still princess. She's the one that God is going to choose to fulfill his purposes. So what, what an affirmation to them that he is not done with them. They're still part of his plan. He's still going to use them for his purposes. God's covenant promises define their future. That's why he renames them. His promises define their future, not their past. It's the same with the people of God. Did you know that he gives us a new name as we believe in Jesus Christ by faith? Revelation 2.17 says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Right, this person endures, faithfully trusting Christ through suffering and persecution all the way to the end. We know there's a promise that God gives that new name. Isaiah 56.5 speaks about the people of God. It says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a new name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now, I don't think we necessarily have to change our names when we become Christians. Not all the disciples were changed when they followed Jesus. But this is pointing to the fact that as a person faithfully believes and follows Christ, he relates with us in a new way in unbelief. It's because when we become Christians, we're made into new creations. God's name for us isn't based on our past and our failures, but he renames us in light of the future and the future he has for us in Jesus Christ. One of those things is being, being brought into a new family. Renames us according to the new family that we're in. Ephesians 1 says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Many children, most children as they're adopted, will take on the, the, the names, the last names of their, parents, of their adopted families. A new name, a new family to belong to. Many times they even get a, first new, a, a new first name. Maybe people even rename their dogs when you get them from the pound or something. It's a recognition that, that to belong, um, you know, that when somebody comes in a new place, a new place of living, a new family, a new place of belonging, they have to receive a new name. So we have a new name because we belong to God. He loves us. He's brought us into his family. And here's why that's important is that because instead of getting stuck in the past or with our successes and our failures, with the names and titles that we give ourselves because of what's happened in the past, 
We need to see ourselves in light of what God thinks of us in terms of his, in terms of his promises. He wants us to think that way and that power. You don't have to be stuck in past sin. God doesn't think of you by the failures of your life. You may have to think about your body in a different way. You might give labels to yourself that God wouldn't. You might think of your past in a certain way that God wouldn't. Even your successes and your accomplishments and titles, maybe God doesn't think of you primarily in that way, but he thinks of you in the new name of his grace and his purposes. He thinks of you according to the promises he can fulfill in you through Jesus Christ. And you're called to think of yourself in that same way too. You have a new name, a new life, a new family. What should define you is the grace of God that brought you into that family. You're not who you once were. So we see a new name that's given. All right, the third thing we want to see is a new sign, a new sign for the purposes of God. See, this starting in verse 9, where God gives Abraham a new sign. He gives him the sign of circumcision, an essential part of his covenant with Abraham. I mean, God had made enormous promises to Abraham to become a mighty nation, to have a son, to be a blessing to the nations, to have land. God intends to fulfill those, and he gives him a sign to remember that he will indeed do those things. Now, we're going to talk more about circumcision and baptism more next week. But God gives Abram this sign to show him something about himself, just like he gives us signs like baptism to show something about ourselves. It shows us three things that I think really stand out to me at first. First thing it shows us is that Abraham belonged to the Lord. Abraham belonged to the Lord. You know, again, remember when he gives this command. Genesis 16, we see sexual sin taking place. Genesis 17, he gives this command to circumcision. Of, of all the implications, it could mean that, that in the cutting away of that skin, of the male sexual organ, it reminds Abraham and it, means, it reminds every person who sees that part of him there's something different than the nations around them. The other nations, not all the nations around them practice this sort of thing. And it was a reminder to him and others that he was called to be different in, the use, in, in his life and the use of his whole body. All of his descendants were to be different. He belonged to God. Baptism does the same thing. It shows we belong to God. We belong to his love. We belong to his care. He belonged to God. Secondly, it shows that he had a high calling, right? He was supposed to act differently. He was supposed to be different. He had a different hope. He had different promises. Just like you and I were called in light of the hope and the promises that are given to us to live differently, to live with love, to live with care, to be attentive um, to the suffering and the needs around us, and to love righteousness, when people say, you know, look at us, they should see something different and say, what's the hope that drives you in your life? And our answer is Jesus Christ. He belonged to the Lord. He was called to act different, but he, it also showed he was locked into a new future. The sign was given to them as an everlasting covenant. It was something to remind them that God has a future plan for Abraham and his descendants. It was a bloody um, action. It was a painful action, but it was also a permanent action. And it shows the seriousness of the covenant that they were in. Reminding constantly the special place they were in, chosen and loved by God. 
In the same way, the Bible says we have a new future. We're not locked in the past. Baptism is a reminder that we've been forgiven by Christ, been washed in him. And because we've been forgiven, we have a new relationship with him. We have a new future. All right, so what do we do with these things? What do we do with these new things, a new challenge, a new name, a new sign? What do we do with them? My main application is we need to stop going back into old ways of thinking. Stop going back into old ways of thinking and think of your life in light of the promises of God. Now, Abram, Abraham, well, he wants to go back in the old ways. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, Abram fell on his face and he laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He's beside himself. God's saying something impossible here, right? He's, he's going to be 100 when the baby's born. Sarah's going to be 90. It doesn't God know that's unbelievable? Maybe we might ask the same questions. Similar statements, laugh to ourselves. You know, I can't be forgiven. You know, look at what God has done to me. I can't go through this trial. This is too much. I'm too far gone. I'll, I'll never change. Too many bad things have happened to me. I'll never be happy. There's, we think there's no way that God's promise of forgiveness or life could apply to us. And so we might do what, what Abraham does in, in verse 18. Abraham, in verse 18, said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. You see what he does here? He really takes an easy way out. He goes with the safe bet. Right? By saying this, he doesn't have to believe that God would give him a son at age 100. When he thinks that God's promises are too good, too impossible, he retreats back to what he thinks he can accomplish on his own. The things he thinks he can accomplish by the works of his own flesh. The son he'd already produced. That's the way he wanted to go. And we can say things like that too. God, why don't you take my good works instead? Lord, surely you would forgive me if I just do enough good things in my life. I don't need to receive Christ. You know, you can't really forgive me that way. I know I need to do enough good things. Say, God, I know I can't be happy trusting you. And so I'm going to sin because I know that's going to make me happy. God, this is too hard, we might say. Maybe just take 50%. Would you take 50% effort? So we compromise and, and bring back to God what is comfortable for us. And you could look to God's answer starting in verse 19. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. You know, so God will fulfill his covenant promises, and he will do them by grace. This is not something that Abraham can do. Just like your own salvation is not something that you can do. You can never be good enough. You can never make yourself happy enough to ever substitute for the joy that he promises in Christ. This is a, this, this is a miracle that God is going to do in Abraham and Sarah's life, and it's a, salvation is a miracle that he has to do in your life. And so when we doubt the promises of the gospel, that they can apply to us, God tells us to look to the cross, look to what he is able to do in the cross, in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And we're reminded of a few things in there. Firstly, we're reminded that he can forgive your sins. 
Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he can even forgive your sins. With God's power, you can live a fruitful life. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And yes, in, in obedience to him and his call and commands in your life, you can do them by faith. Look to him who strengthens you. You can also change. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Believe in Christ, you can be made new. You can change. And Jesus can bring real joy into your life. As John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You can live in the past, you'd be stuck in a cycle of failure or seeking those successes, or you can trust the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him, make me new. Make me new. It's what he does in his covenant promises. It's what he does in the gospel of Christ. He forgives our sins and he makes us new. Let's look to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have so many promises for us and yet we get so distracted from them. God, we think that our past is more powerful than our future. We ask you would help us to see what you have done to establish our future, to help us walk blamelessly before you. God, that we would uh, see that you give us a new name, a new sign. You hold a great promise in Christ. And Father, we receive those. We walk in them. Father, make us new. Give this joy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, one of the other great signs that God has given to us is the Lord's